All right, everyone, welcome back. This is Ryan Selkis, and you're listening to Masari's Unqualified Opinions, where each week I interview crypto's top builders, investors, and personalities to discuss the key trends in the industry. You can discover more about Masari at masari.io. But for now, let's get right into the episode. It's going to be a good one. Save money this tax season with Luca Tax, the only tested crypto tax software. Luca's listened to your feedback. Now you can calculate capital gains and see the results using three different accounting methods side by side, all for free. You only pay if you want to access their detailed tax reports. Luca supports unlimited transaction uploads from all major exchanges and wallets and helps optimize your tax reporting so you can max out this year's refund. Luca Tax wants to help Masari's unqualified opinions listeners save even more this year. So use promo code Masari Tax and you'll get $5 off the normal price of $39.95 when downloading today. Go to L-U-K-K-A-T-A-X.com and save money this tax season. Have you seen what the Crypto.com team's been up to lately? Talking about the MCO Visa card. It's a beautiful metal card you can top up with crypto and spend anywhere Visa's accepted. You get up to 5% back on all your spending, plus 100% rebates on Spotify, Netflix, and now Amazon Prime Travel. How about unlimited airport lounge access and interbank exchange rates? So many perks in just one card. You can download the Crypto.com app and reserve yours today. This podcast is presented by BlockWorks Group, one of the top blockchain events and media production companies I've worked with. For exclusive content and events that could help you with insight into the crypto and blockchain space, check them out at blockworksgroup.io and you will not be disappointed. All right, everyone, welcome back to Masari's Unqualified Opinions. I'm Ryan Selkis at 2BitIdiot. I have another special guest today, Renee Reinsberg, who's the founder of Cello. We're going to talk about Cello the global stablecoin project that is eating Libra's lunch. Uh, we'll see if we can uh, trip up Renee and, and, and get her to say something explosive about that rivalry. Um, but in all seriousness, we've got uh, a lot of ground to cover in terms of emerging market currencies, the digital dollar, um, the impact that uh, coronavirus and some of the uh, relief efforts are having on their business, if at all. Um, and generally where they're excited to see the stablecoin market evolve. Uh, and whether that poses a threat or an opportunity for additional growth with Bitcoin, Ethereum, and other more volatile crypto assets. Uh, but Renee, before we get into all that, uh, why don't you just give the quick origin story and, and how you first got into crypto, uh, what led you to the path uh, that you're on today with Cello? Awesome. Well, thanks uh, first of all, Ryan, for for having me. It's great to it's great to catch up. Um, yeah. Look. So we. Um, how did we get into crypto? Uh, Sepp, uh, Merrick, and I, who were all, all co-founders of uh, of Cello, uh, we actually met at MIT, and um, Merrick and I had started a company out of Tim Berners Lee's lab. Um, this is uh, ten years ago, um, where Sepp ended up being our first advisor and later board member and over the years has become um, a really close friend and you know I think there are a lot of similarities between um, the conversations we've had in the in these early days um, you know uh, at MIT around kind of the semantic web and linked data and you know the uh, decentralized systems and infrastructure and how it, what a you know decentralized Facebook could look like, um, not to kind of go right, go right there. But you know that was uh, something that when we um, so after you know Loku was we, we sold Loku to GoDaddy and spent some time there and then went back to the drawing board. Um, when we kind of looked at what had happened with Bitcoin and Ethereum and 
uh, smart contracts, digital assets. I was like, wow, this is like, you know, a lot of the same concepts apply, but there's, there's a real strong ecosystem forming uh, very quickly here. And, you know, I think you could sort of even, you know, two and a half, three years ago, you could sort of see that this was just on a, on a very kind of fast trajectory. And so for us, that was really exciting because I think with, with every technology, you know, you need sort of um, that, that type of kind of movement and forward, uh, forward movement really to, um, to, to bring kind of change. And so for us, um, we, we started um, particularly, you know, um, looking at how can this kind of enable more participation from more, more people around the world and especially people that are only on a mobile phone. And so a lot of our early work and research was focused on um, how can we um, make this kind of more mobile friendly and bring the benefits of, of crypto to people that may only have access to the internet through a mobile phone. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you raised a bit of money from uh, who's who of investors last year, um, but that, that took place before the Libra Association got off the ground. So this is like March or so, $25 million round with Andreessen and, and, and others. Um, a lot of, you know, kind of deep-pocketed and, and very experienced Web3 investors. Fast forward a few months later, Libra announces its plans. How, how, do, how do you think about the positioning of Celo versus Libra at that point? And, um, yeah. and then, you know, let's, let's walk through this, this journey because you hear about startups, you know, getting Googled or getting, you know, Facebooked or Amazon. Um, and it basically just, it's, it's, oh, one of the big tech giants says, actually, we're going to play in the sandbox now. So, you know, why don't you give us your lunch money and think about a different business? Um, in theory, at least, crypto should be different. Um, it is proven to be different in the sense that it's been tough because Facebook has been in the crosshairs for Libra to get off the ground. But what's going through your mind in June or, you know, last summer when this became public? And did you know earlier, how were you thinking about positioning Celo versus Libra? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's interesting because definitely uh, when Libra announced, suddenly there was a lot more attention on what we were doing. Um, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, definitely the, uh, the previous rounds we had done or the token sales we had done um, were mostly with people who were already looking at this opportunity, at this space, who had a kind of a thesis around, you know, digital currencies and um, sort of internet money, um, to put it, put it in a more blunt way, and, and people who had been in the payment space for a long time. So, you know, Jack Dorsey, Reed Hoffman, Cortina, who started Venmo, uh, all people who had, um, who had been in payments businesses and had seen some of the shortcomings of the current financial system and were excited about, um, you know, crypto and then more specifically about some of the things we were focusing on. And, and so what really I think changed with Libra was that there was a, um, suddenly a much broader discussion around, um, you know, how can this actually impact, you know, there was a lot of talk about how this may help people that are unbanked or underbanked. Well, what is actually required at the feature set to make that happen? You know, how would we, what would be the user experience? Uh, what would that be kind of uh, have to be like to, to actually kind of make that possible? 
and these are these were all questions that we had spent a lot of time thinking about and um, in a way it was nice because now there was much more of a public uh, conversation happening around that and so I feel like a lot of our work has been accelerated um, mostly because there's more more focus on this now um, personally you know um, and you know I I think Libra you can have kind of your views on it um, there the similarities really kind of stop when you take a closer look I think there are some kind of technical similarities in terms of like the the, the way the infrastructure kind of is designed and Obviously, there's the Libra Association, which shares some of uh, its members with the Cello uh, Alliance for Prosperity. But, um, you know, I think fundamentally, I think we, we take a very different approach, right? This is really an open, uh, open source, you know, accessible to anyone platform. So if you want to run, Ryan, if you want to run a full node or a validator, be my guest. Actually, you don't need my permission to do it. You can just do it, you know, which I think is, is really, is really key. Um, and you know, we, we wanted to kind of have something that can, um, really kind of scale beyond us and where we don't, um, where we're not on sort of somewhere kind of a bottleneck or in sort of a critical path, but really, uh, enable others to take this infrastructure and make it work for the things that they want to see in the world. And um, I think that's a little bit harder when you take a more closed approach, uh, the way Libra has been taking it. You could argue that they don't need it because you know there's there's big distribution built into um, into Facebook already, and so I think uh, that's obviously also what what gets people excited in terms of introducing crypto to two three billion uh, additional people. Um, but but yeah, I think fundamentally um, the design is, is is quite is quite different. Mm-hmm. Um- well, you know, one, one thing that uh, is a little bit different is the integration that you have with um, being able to interface with people's phones. Um, with the stablecoin market, I think you, you can't really compete in terms of the economics of the stablecoins themselves, um, at, at least you know, from, from my perspective. But I want you to chime in if you think that's wrong. Instead, it's what is the tooling and how do you actually build up a flywheel so that people are using your particular stablecoin. Um, these look like interchangeable assets, even if the networks aren't necessarily interchangeable. Can, can you just uh, talk a little bit about how you position yourselves versus USDC and Paxos and Tether to a lesser extent and, and all of these other stablecoin initiatives that are already underway, you know, some of which are much more liquid, much larger at this point, than, um, than, than your project, which is just getting off the ground. Absolutely. And, you know, I think there, there can maybe like a two-part answer. First, um, if we look uh, purely at sort of the existing stablecoin market and, uh, you know, stablecoins packed, for example, to the dollar, um, I, I would argue that the use cases today are still very much limited to, you know, institutional use cases, right? We don't see very many people making peer-to-peer payments in, in DAI or USDC. <clears throat> and I think some of it has to do with um, there just not being kind of uh, an easy kind of way to transact, for example, on a mobile phone, right? Um, and so uh, to to us, really, I think there's there's two components. There's even with sort of the existing um, dollar-packed stablecoins, 
um, just extending the market, right? Really starting to see a lot more of the, um, you know, retail use cases and consumer use cases, both in terms of plain payments, but also in terms of the kind of DeFi applications that for a large part right now, I would argue are, um, you know, it's still, you know, a few thousand people that maybe were early adopters in Bitcoin and, 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 uh, and ETH that are, that end up um, amounting for the bulk of transactions there versus people that may actually, are, you know, the ones that we're all talking about in terms of needing access to a better financial system. And so I think that's kind of the first, the first step is to just making something like USDC, right? Uh, or like really like something like a stable coin accessible to everyone with a phone. And that's kind of a key premise behind Celo. Um, the second piece is that, you know, in our design, we actually, um, longer term, we foresee a rich ecology of, um, of, of currencies. And those could kind of, you know, mirror some of the existing currencies, fiat currencies we have, right? So bring sort of a, a dollar or a euro kind of into the digital world. But also, uh, you know, we see the creation of functional and local currencies. And there um, really is, is, a, is, a, is a richness from a, you know, a vision perspective that um, we hope will, 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 will take place where we suddenly have currencies that complement uh, our existing currencies and can lead to more of a, um, you know, a, a world where sort of the communities are more in tune with, with, their, with their currencies and currencies can actually further community causes. Um, and, you know, I think there's, uh, there have been a lot of experiments and implementations of local or functional currencies, but for the most part, their their scale has been uh, limited by by just not having sort of a technology backend to kind of enable that and and so for us really i think it's it's interesting to think about okay could could this new infrastructure enable uh, those community and functional currencies to happen at a much larger scale. Um, the other piece to that is that, you know, um, this is a big debate now with COVID-19 and relief payments, you know, central bank digital currencies, the digital dollar. I mean, it's a discussion that's happening around the world at, at central banks and, and governments. And we um, early on, you know, recognized that, look, this is um, an open infrastructure. And yes, we would love for this to be the infrastructure that central banks launch their retail central bank digital currencies on. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some of the criteria that we kind of, um, you know, optimize for from a design perspective are ones that, you know, central banks would care for in, in the same way, right? I mean, for something to be used on a mobile phone, if you think about a retail central bank digital currency is obviously also very important. And so, at, you know, at a high level, um, I think the the current kind of stablecoin market, um, as as big as it is, I think is only a fraction of what this market um, can be. And in mm -hmm. terms of the use cases, in terms of um, the type of currencies we'll see, um, I think that's really about to um, explode and expand um, quite quite significantly. You know, the institutional use case, in many respects, is a hell of a lot easier to make the economics of, of that model work because there's embedded compliance costs um, in know your customer and, and money laundering provisions. And so, you know, the settle, the trade settlement application, which really is the, the 1.0 use case for stable coins makes sense because even in a low interest rate environment, you can still make those numbers work. The compliance overhead is significantly reduced or it's kind of pushed out to the exchanges who are to do this. That's not necessarily the same with, a retail focused stable coin. So it's got the feel good pitch, but there's this practical element, which is very challenging. How do you solve for that dynamic? And 
is there a way to kind of stay under the radar or stay under certain uh, compliance thresholds just because you ostensibly are, are, are building to move smaller amounts of money around? Um, I'm wondering if it even matters because, you know, from what we know in the West, especially, it really doesn't. Um, although the penalties are a little bit less steep if someone's sending, you know, 20 bucks for a street corner purchase uh, of something that isn't FDA certified versus uh, someone that's trying to move kilos across, uh, you know, a border, which is probably when you'd use uh, Bitcoin or, or, or some other, you know, asset like cash. Um, what, um, how, how, does, how does that, you know, component of the system work? Is that also pushed out to the edges? How do you think about that from a protocol level? No, this is something we've been thinking about from day one. I think it's very clear to us um, as a team that, look, if this, if this is uh, going to be successful, it has to be, um, you know, in, in compliance and in, you know, in working with regulators. And that's, um, that's at a global level, right? Um, I think what's, what's really interesting, though, and this is kind of to your point around the use cases here, when you look at, for example, peer-to-peer payments and, you know, um, you know much smaller, uh, smaller payments in a community, um, the, uh, the kind of the regulatory frameworks um, that apply, um, you know, can be, can, can, be, can be different, right? I think a really interesting example for that is when you look at what's happened with mobile money, um, for example, in, in Africa and parts of Africa, where um, the KYC requirements for um, very kind of small amounts, small transactions, um, you know, is a lot lower than um, the KYC requirement for a bank account in the U.S., for example, right? And obviously that changes um, with kind of as, as amounts get bigger and as transactions get bigger. But um, I think that was purposely done to, to achieve more financial inclusion, right? And so I think with every kind of regulatory framework, um, you know, you need to kind of think about, okay, what are the, what are the benefits, uh, but also how do you um, prevent bad behavior? And, and so I think our, our role as a, um, you know, as an actor in this ecosystem is to help shape that regulation and, and help make this better and make it more appropriate with respect to this, these new technologies. I, I do feel we have an obligation here to, um, to have a voice and <clears throat> have a seat at the table and at the protocol level, I think there, there are things we can, we can do, but, but ultimately, yeah, I think you're right. I think um, it's, it's the access points, it's the applications that um, will and, and have, been, um, have been responsible for, for ensuring uh, proper compliance. And so um, our, I think from, from, from our perspective, you know, um, with respect to the underlying infrastructure, where we're constantly kind of thinking about, okay, what more can we do to, to make that easier, to enable that, to, um, to prevent sort of bad actors from um, kind of uh, coming on the platform. And I think that's, um, you know, I think the technology is neutral, right? So I think it's all about kind of figuring out kind of the, the guardrails of, of how it's being used. Mm-hmm. Um, one, one other thing I would, um, I would point out is that, um, and maybe this is um, where what's happening right now with kind of relief payments is interesting. You can see how people, you know, I think generally that debate is not an easy one to have, right? Because we have uh, rules and regulations that have been in place for a long time that, you know, made sense given the way kind of things used to work. But you're seeing it today, right? You're seeing it 
if someone will have to wait, you know, three weeks for kind of a relief check to arrive, right? Or may have to wait months for, for, for getting a relief payment where with, you know, a technology like Cello, I could literally kind of make a payment, you know, with to you within seconds and you would have it on your phone. You could go to a store and pay for it, right? So um, obviously there are trade-offs that come with that. And, and so it is, um, it's important to not just kind of take this lightly, uh, but, um, but I think the technology advantage is, is so clear and not just specific to Cello, but this is kind of, I think, applies to the space more broadly that um, we do need a different way to look at this from a regulatory perspective. And, you know, we've been um, engaging regulators and we have a team internally that's it's doing that. We've also um, brought people over from the U.S. Federal Reserve who um, are, are thinking through kind of this, this, you know, how does this work in the context of central bank digital currencies? And, you know, I think... Um, you know, we're, we're small, but we're very excited to be, um, to provide sort of input uh, to that debate and, and provide education where possible to, to make a case that, you know, if we, if we give this technology more room to grow, it can actually really significantly improve financial inclusion, uh, even in places where um, that's maybe not kind of topic number one. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know, you can talk about the competitive positioning of, of different stablecoin projects. Uh, clearly, uh, you might have a head start in, in this particular, uh, I, w- I won't call it niche because it's, you know, there, there are many different, you know, currency applications that are, are massive. Um, ultimately, you know, I do wonder if you'll have all these different dollar backed or, or, or fiat currency pegged stablecoins. Um, that serve different verticals and kind of when different developer audiences, or if there is some type of convergence on one single asset um, or at least one underlying protocol. So I I think we're just going to see how each individual asset um, ends up, you know, shaking out and and how those are created and redeemed over time. But what about um, the underlying protocol that's actually facilitating these transfers? So you guys are building your own blockchain, right? Yeah. Um, Talk about the design decisions there and, and ultimately how you view network effects in a world where Libra will probably eventually launch. There are, you know, dozens of other, you know, central bank issued digital currencies and, um, and other stablecoin projects that are, are built on Ethereum. Some are even getting built on, on Bitcoin and Tezos and, and, and all these other um, uh, much more dynamic protocols. It, it does seem that uh, Cello for the foreseeable future will be stablecoin focused. So does that unnecessarily limit the reach that you could have with the protocol? And what does that mean for the asset? Yeah, no, it's, thank thank you for asking. Yeah, it's, we're, we're very focused obviously on, on these kind of financial use cases. And so that's kind of where a lot of our focus and this is where a lot of the communication is kind of aimed at, but you know, really, you know, anything you, you could build on Ethereum, you could build on, on Celo kind of theoretically. Right. So there's, there's not necessarily that kind of limitation though. I will say that a lot of the, the features of the underlying kind of core core infrastructure are specifically aimed at, um, enabling a better experience around these uh, financial kind of use cases. And so to give, to give some examples, um, you know, obviously, um, you know, as, as you know, um, Celo is proof of stake. And so it has fast finality, faster block times. Um, it has uh, a lot of the kind of nice decentralization features right from, uh, from launch. And so, um, you know, while 
it's um, it has the EVM compatibility, and so you know has sort of the the benefits for someone who's built on Ethereum to be able to build on on Celo easily. Um, it is a, it is a proof of stake network. Um, mm -hmm. We have two kind of core protocols: one around lightweight identity and one around stability that um, enable. Um, things that we feel are, are very important for any financial use case that you may be looking to kind of build. So if you think about, for example, um, kind of any, any lending uh, use case, the, this notion of kind of a, a credit score is obviously very important um, if you want to kind of move from a collateralized to an under-collateralized or non-collateralized kind of loan world. Um, and uh, my co-founder, Sepp Kambar, actually is the inventor of Eigentrust, which is a kind of peer-to-peer uh, reputation um, uh, um, algorithm that um, we look to leverage to create sort of a, a concept of of reputation of sort of a credit score, lightweight credit score in this new digital world. And that's particularly important in places where there is no credit score, even no real credit score, right? So um, I think what will be really powerful is to kind of start seeing uh, a basic payments network on top of which you can bootstrap um, a credit score and do it in a, in a way that is um, kind of consistent with sort of the principles around kind of individual kind of privacy and, and what's being shared, shared from a data perspective. Mm -hmm. I think um, the, the, the second, the second point here um, is that um, I don't, I don't necessarily, um, I actually agree with your assessment. Um, I could see other stable coins launch on Celo, right? I think, you know, I, I could see, um, some of the existing stablecoins say, hey, you know, Celo infrastructure actually works better for what we're looking to do, or we want to make sure that people um, who want to access this through a mobile phone and Celo is the best way to do it, right? They have access to our stablecoin, so we're going to launch it on Celo. And so I, I, very much, uh, I very much agree, ultimately, it will come down to some of the core protocols. Um, I don't think it's a winner-take-all. I think there will be... Um, at least a handful of protocols that are all kind of slightly different in terms of the feature set and, and work well for, for certain areas, for certain use cases. And already now there's, you know, big efforts underway around interoperability between these protocols um, and something that we've been very involved in working also with, with some of the other layer ones out there. So my, my view here is that Right now, um, it's actually all much more collaborative, right, as an ecosystem than it's often portrayed from the outside. And we're all kind mm -hmm. of looking at ways to, you know, make this um, an, an ecosystem that uh, actually is interoperable and that kind of allows people to kind of seamlessly kind of go between chains. Mm -hmm. um, in our case, yeah, look, we're very focused on um, mobile. We're very focused on payments use cases, particularly in developing markets. You know, we believe if we can... If we can do a good job there, um, if, if the infrastructure works well there, it will work well everywhere. So that's been our starting point. But but longer term, I think that, you know, it's, it's really there, you know, we're not um, discriminating against any use case. If someone wants to build a game on Celo, um, mm -hmm. you know, that's great. You know, w one thing that um, strikes me more recently, pretty much every infrastructure company is a multi-blockchain compatible company. You, ha you have to be just for survival purposes. And because of that, it makes it much easier to onboard the next incremental project 
because you've already built systems to monitor different types of blockchains, to plug in different types of, of blockchains. You have a roadmap, you have a clear kind of testing plan in place, and, and there are, are you know, economies of scale to those processes. Um, on the other hand, you can't just be kind of indiscriminate about what you add support for. So, you know, I'm curious, on the one hand, barriers to scaling come down quite a bit because there's not as much a moat around compatibility with all the different developer tools and, and kind of user tools out there. On the other hand, um, the there might be openings for teams that are more agile or have more sophisticated um, dev tools or, or documentation or, or, or whatever it might be um, to give those critical ecosystem providers a, a little bit more comfort around, you know, making the leap and, and taking on the additional support burden and, and actually, you know, essentially taking a flyer on the success of the project. What, um, what do you think your team got right um, to get to, you know, 50 partners uh, and, mm -hmm. and, and to actually be able to, to launch with at least teams that were willing to put their logo uh, aside the project, yeah. right? Yeah, there's no financial commitment like Libra, but these teams are, are taking, you know, putting their reputation online saying, yes, we're going to support this. They're not just going to backtrack um, yeah. in 99% uh, in of cases, unless there was something structurally wrong with, with you know, the yeah. tech. Yeah, look, I mean, it's, it's a real commitment, right? And um, obviously, yeah, we don't, uh, we don't force people to, to run validators or, or make a financial commitment um, in terms of buying into this because we believe that if, if that's something, um, I mean, that's something people may do naturally. And so we actually, um, there are many Alliance members who will likely run validators or, or, or hold Cello Gold, right? Just as part of, of being a member of the community. Um, but I think what's more, what's more important to us, um, when we kind of, uh, started formalizing this and, you know, we've engaged a lot of these organizations from the very early days, um, to get feedback on the, the challenges, problems they were having using existing infrastructure, right. Around some of the use cases that they were energizing. And so mm -hmm. for us, it was really more, um, now at this stage with the Alliance getting a commitment, like, yes, I will. I will put resources behind integrating Celo, making Celo better, making Celo work well for this particular use case. Use case. So if you look at Grameen Foundation, for example, who is one of the biggest micro lenders out there, they're really interested in exploring how could this kind of open infrastructure um, make microloans better, more accessible, right? Um, there may be kind of new formats that they're trying out. So there's, there are real teams, there are real people kind of uh, spending time on this. So there, there is a resource commitment in that sense, but it's, it's much more geared towards, um, you know, actu the actual application, the actual use cases and, and, and working on something and growing it. Um, and I'm, I'm a big fan of that. I think, you know, longer term, like if I, if I look five, 10 years out, um, I would imagine that most of the development um, on even some of the kind of deep down kind of in the stack kind of core infrastructure will be done by engineering teams, um, you know, at, at the various Alliance members. Um, I think Square, actually Jack Dorsey at Square, I think is a great example of, you know, spinning up a crypto team and contributing to Bitcoin and, and Lightning, right? I think that's something that... Um, I think will be the norm in, in five, 10 years. I think all technology companies will, uh, will have teams contributing to, um, to these kind of new open protocols. So I think uh, that's, I think that's, that's one thing. Um, I think we, 
we got a little bit lucky, I think, with sort of the, the focus on, on mobile. I think there was really a gap in the existing ecosystem. And so even now we have um, the team who ran uh, LibraCamp actually decided to now run CelloCamp. And, and we just, um, on April 10, closed applications. And I think we had close to 250 teams um, applying, applying for that, which is, which is phenomenal. And I think a big part of that is really, you know, some of the you know features, the, the nuances around. Okay, here people can. We have an SDK that lets people build native applications, right? Um, which, for all of us who've been in the space and have uh, you know fiddled with MetaMask and a browser, we know that's not something that is likely going to get um, you know someone who's new to the new to crypto. Um, you know, it's not something that's going to go go over too easy from the user experience. And obviously, all these things are getting better, but I think really um, thinking about okay, you know, how does an experience in the space can be as good as um, a Web two experience? I think that's kind of the bar that we want to set, and that I think a lot of the either alliance members or solo camp participants or, or people who generally kind of have been following and, and been involved in the project are excited about. Mm-hmm. Um, the you know we we touched on um, central bank digital currencies at least a little bit. You know when when you're talking about emerging market support, um, you're going to be talking about territories that are not necessarily as friendly to experimentation, might be overtly hostile to any you know either Western influence or or, or tech driven influence. Um, and, you know, we'll take just the case of China, right, which is the largest market. They're going to be rolling out their own, um, uh, you know, electronic payments system and, and, and digital one. Um, you'd imagine that, you know, maybe Bitcoin's okay. Maybe these other crypto commodities are okay in the eyes of, of the Chinese government. But as soon as you start to have leakage out of the kind of core central bank digital currency, you're going to start running into problems. So um, do you uh, geofence users in, in certain regions? Do you uh, think about interoperability with these you know, CBDCs? And I bring up China um, because they seem out of most of the, the major governments to be the ones that will move the fastest on this. Um, so it's less about picking on them and more about, you know, this is probably the first instance that you're going to have to deal with in terms of, of interoperability or support or, or just thinking about whether you even bother spending any time there. Yeah, I mean, so interoperability to other systems um, like central bank digital currencies is a big topic. Um, and it's something that we we spend time on and we um, will provide increasing an increasing amount of resources so others can um, can do that. And it's it's really, yeah, in our case, you know, as a, as a team, how much are we going to be involved in that versus someone who is in a market or, you know, in, in sort of the ecosystem that will have a need around that. Um, so I think we want to be, we want to kind of have that sort of on our radar and know that that's something that would be, would be potentially interesting to uh, folks in the ecosystem and make sure from an architecture perspective uh, that's feasible and the kind of com- right components can be kind of on its way or can be in place. Um, but, but yeah, personally, as sort of the kind of C-Labs team, um, it's not kind of immediate, immediate focus. Um, I will say that we're, we're seeing this maybe not yet with central bank digital currencies, but certainly 
with teams in the ecosystem that are um, integrating or building bridges to even the traditional um, uh, kind of uh, financial system. So for example, we have a, um, in, in, uh, a company in, in Kenya that's built um, and that just launched in beta um, a, a kind of a bridge between M-Pesa and, and, and Celo. And so allowing people to kind of go back and forth uh, from their M-Pesa account to their Celo account. Um, and, and so that's, to me, it's fascinating because it's something that obviously provides high utility for, for people uh, in that market. It's something that I think is great. It really, it helps, um, it helps sort of end users. Um, it's not something that I would have seen our team be able to kind of dedicate resources to in the short term. And so it's, it's nice to see some of these things being already energized by, by, by folks in the ecosystem. And so similarly here, I think there, there is a path where some of that may happen a lot faster, but it's not necessarily going to be driven by us, but by others in the ecosystem. So we, our, um, generally with respect to central bank digital currencies right now, this year for the rest of the year, so on our roadmap where we're spending just a lot of time putting together educational materials, um, helping um, provide more information to to the central banks that we're talking to, to governments around the benefits of, of central bank digital currencies and um, sort of different kind of infrastructure, kind of architecture decisions um, that um, that are that that could be made and and help things through. Okay, how how can we kind of take a step forward in that direction? And what some of what are some of the experiments, pilots uh, that 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 folks may want to run? And uh, you know, on that we're also we're not doing this alone, right? So we're working with a lot of the kind of bigger associations that work with central banks or international organizations um, and folks at the World Bank and IMF that have those conversations on a, on a regular basis. Um, and it's, it's a collaborative effort. And, you know, it's, we're certainly not the only kind of uh, blockchain project that's, um, that's pushing the ball forward on that front. But um, it's something that, you know, definitely we know is going to happen. And so we, we want to be um, just a thought partner as much as we can. Mm-hmm. Um, so first off, I, um, I love the, uh, the, the tagline you have on the homepage. Um, let's make money. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's, it's, you know, there's, it's, there's, there's, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a word that, there's a word that rotates through that. <laughs> no, I know, I know. It's, it's, it's very clever. Let's make it accessible. Let's make, but it, it disappears. It disappears um, for a while. Uh, that's pretty um, funny. I hadn't thought about it that way. That's no, it's, uh, it's, it's, good. it's good. It's, it's subliminal. So there's like plausible de- deniability, right? It's not like, Hey, you're going to get filthy fucking rich, but, um, but really you are, uh, but there's other things too. Uh, you know, it's, 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 it's really well done. But the, um, um, you know, so as people, you know, look to get involved, you're uh, a few months away still from, from mainnet, still going through security audits. And, and do you have a kind of target date for mainnet launch, or at least the first phase of mainnet? Yeah, we're, we're actually, we're, we're pretty much there. So we, um, all the audits are completed. Um, we're, we're currently, um, we just um, kind of in the last few days stood up a, a kind of a dry run for um, for for what will be mainnet, and so in the coming weeks we'll have um, a release candidate that will be will become mainnet over time, assuming that everything kind of goes goes smoothly. So at this point, I would say we're we're just a few weeks a uh, few weeks away from uh, from from mainnet being live, which is which is really exciting. And mm-hmm. you know, unlike a, a SaaS launch where you you know push a button and, and, and the app is live, you know, obviously here there's 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 a series of steps 
um, that, uh, that it takes before the assets start trading on exchanges and, and so forth. But um, mm-hmm. we're, we're in the very final stages now, which is, which is great. And, you know, I think especially with the current, um, you know, situation and crisis, um, I feel the team has really been leaning in and, and, and same for, uh, for our kind of collaborators in the alliance. I think the, the need for um, an infrastructure like Celo is bigger than ever. And uh, with that, I feel everybody is, is kind of stepping on the gas and, and you know, working even harder and, and, and trying to kind of get this out faster. And our hope, I think, collectively is that, you know, this can be become a part of the solution. And, you know, it's something that, that could be could be used um, even in the near future, and so um, it's been it's been a it's been a crazy time, but personally um, very rewarding because you know I think it's a lot of uh, things you know like cash transfer programs, things that we've talked about for for a long time, but now it's it's really you know it's 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 hitting home. You know, it's in it's being discussed in Europe, in the US, and, and so it's um, yeah, I think it's a it's an interesting time for the space. Um. This year, especially, uh, stablecoins have just absolutely taken off uh, in terms of, of size and volume. We're now over $8 billion, uh, for the first time in, in terms of total uh, dollars secured. Have you, uh, do you have any targets for both Celo Gold and for Celo Dollars at launch? Is there kind of a, a target liquidity pool that you will go live with? Uh, or or how, did, how do you go from zero to, to launch um, in yeah. practice. Yeah. So unlike fiat, uh, backed stable coins where you have like a, a fiat reserve here, uh, the, the circulating supply in stable coin is, is fully programmatic. So it's, it's really dependent on, on the demand. Um, and the protocol will kind of programmatically kind of mint new stable coins and then buy back seller gold, which is the reserve asset into the reserve. And ultimately there's a mechanism to diversify that, that reserve um, with sort of other, with other crypto assets. So um, a lot of the, you know, a lot of sort of, if we look kind of maybe a year out, right. A lot of, um, uh, or that will de- depend on, on the use cases. It will really depend on, okay, are there people that are um, using seller dollars, for cash transfers, um, are there people looking to run UBI programs or uses for remittances or micro loans um, or allowing people to earn this currency for for work they're doing online? Right. So, really, this is where um, the the success of the platform or the the scale of the platform will will depend on on all of these uh, use cases that we've been um, experimenting and, and, and testing and, and now can actually take, take to kind of scale, right. From sort of, um, uh, from sort of a smaller, from a smaller scale. So that's, that's really what will, what will drive it. So we're not, we're not necessarily, you know, um, the way you would do it with a, with a fiat backed stable coin saying, Hey, we're just going to take, uh, 10 million bucks, put it in a bank account and issue 10 million digital coins against that. But, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's much more driven just by supply and demand. So in conceptually a lot more similar to, um, to maker, uh, and die in, in, in that way, even though the, the mechanism is, is, is different, of course. Uh, what is your metric for success then in, in kind of the first six months post launch? Is it to, is it to get to die levels? Uh, and, and is it, market cap or, or volumes that you're trying to optimize for out of the gates? 
Um, yeah, we have we have some targets. I think these are obviously C Labs targets, and then you know Alliance members will have their will have their own targets, and there we have some kind of idea for overall for the ecosystem, uh, what this could look like. But I think most importantly is is really um, around product market fit for for these various use cases, right? I mean, really making sure that this is the best um, digital currency for cash transfers, for microloans, for uh, remittances for, you know, the ability for people to kind of, you know, pay on their phone or, or earn money for doing work online. Right. So it's, it's really more across sort of the different use cases that are energized by the various Alliance members, making sure that this is, uh, this is the best possible option for that. And it also means saying no to stuff, right? I mean, it means there are definitely areas where we're early on saying, look, this is not, um, something that will be focused on that over time could come, but you know, we're not, we're not, uh, this is not kind of, uh, on sort of critical paths to kind of the mission, uh, that we, that mm-hmm. we've set out. So look, I think, um, I, um, you know, it's a lot harder to predict, uh, because we're not, uh, it's not simply saying, Oh, you know, tether is X and we think we can be, uh, 20% of tether within X, you know, X months, right? It's not, it's not as simple because really it's, it's going after a lot of new use cases. It's really kind of growing actually the market size for, for stable coins uh, around a bunch of new applications. So, um, yeah, for us really, it's, 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 it's proving that this can actually be useful without sort of external incentives. Uh, let me put it that way. Right. I think it's, um, what you sometimes see in the space is like, oh, you know, we're blockchain X is used for, for this application. And, you know, what ended up happening is it's just a lot of money being thrown at it, right. To kind of write a case study and, and here, what we're really curious about. And I think where we're aligned with the Alliance members is, um, this really has to, from a technology perspective, make a business case, right? If it can't, mm-hmm. then like, let's not waste time on it, right? Let's just use whatever system we're using. Um, like really, I think if there's no clear, um, if there's no clear kind of um, step up from what we're currently doing, um, just on a pure technology basis, then, um, you know, it's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not worth kind of the investment. And, and luckily there are uh, a lot of different use cases and areas where, it's very clear that this can be a 10 X improvement. And so focusing on those and, and, and making those happen, even at a small scale early on, but to kind of paint the picture of what this could become longer term. Which use cases in particular are you most excited for out of the gates? You mentioned a few cash transfers or minutes. Yeah. Says those are the ones that everybody talks about, you know, micro loans right. uh, are probably the, the, the ones that I am most excited about and, and see the most promise because yeah. no one has been able to figure that out yet, but I'm, I'm curious where, yeah. Yeah. I mean, definitely having spent time sort of in the, in the small business space and, and knowing how hard it is even in the U S to get like a, a small business loan, for example. Right. I mean, this is definitely like, if you bring this to, uh, to developing emerging markets where, you know, really, you know, you may have access to kind of the local loan shark who offers you a 20% monthly interest rate loan, you know, but mm-hmm. um, this could really be a massive enabler, right? Just in terms of um, creating a kind of global, more transparent uh, kind of market for, for, for capital. Um, personally, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited about uh, the ability to, to earn um, digital currency for doing work online. You know, one thing um, living abroad and, and many places uh, that I, I think is a little bit underappreciated uh, for for folks in, in in Europe or the U.S. is 
that you know for for most of us paypal kind of gets the job done right you do, do something you buy something online or you um, you do online work and you can sort of cash in cash out with a with a paypal account or credit card or whatnot but if you're in in many places around the world right that's not really an option right and so you're even though you have access to the internet and you have access to all the information um, you're really not participating in the global labor market, right? Because you're not actually able to do work and get paid in, in something that kind of you can then bring into the local context and use. And so I think to me personally, um, that's an area that I'm pretty excited about because we can, with micropayments, kind of make micro work um, much more accessible um, to people around the world. And um, from there, kind of really include a lot more people in, in the global kind of labor uh, labor market. And so that's, um, I think it's also like cello, you know, as Esperanto means purpose. Um, one of our values is to really help people find and achieve their unique purpose. And, uh, you know, while our mission is, there's, there's a part in there, which is around a better financial system, um, it's really kind of what for it. And it's, it's for, it's for kind of helping people achieve prosperity is helping people get that sense of purpose and achievement. Um, and so really the better financial infrastructure really is just kind of a means to an end in that, in that way. Right. And um, just creating better financial tools for the, for the purpose of doing that wouldn't be, wouldn't be half as rewarding as actually kind of seeing people now having uh, participating in something, being part of something, being able to do work and, and getting paid for that. Um, that's, I think that's personally what's most exciting here. Well, that's as good a place to end as any, uh, Renee, how can people, uh, learn more about Celo and, uh, and, and find you on Twitter? Yeah. So our, um, yeah, our website, uh, cello.org, um, has a lot of information also linked to our, uh, blog and, um, you know, further documentation, all our kind of social, um, social kind of links. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, uh, we're, we're a very friendly, uh, team and community. So, so definitely for folks who haven't been engaged yet, feel free to reach out and, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll be in touch. We'll, you know, we're, we always, uh, like to kind of, uh, you know, have new folks join the community. So yeah, thank you. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining and, uh, for everybody that's watching and listening. Thank you until next episode in two days or four days depending on when exactly this goes out sometime in the next couple weeks we will see you soon in the meantime stay safe and uh, be good thanks everybody and thank you Renee thanks Ryan until next time peace that's a wrap thanks for listening new episodes of Unqualified Opinions go live weekdays at noon eastern time you can follow me in the meantime on Twitter at 2bitidiot if you want to continue the conversation or troll me otherwise I'll see you next week